sorry, I can't stop laughing. <laughs> what did I say? Just everything you've been saying over the last <laughs> 60 seconds. Oh my god. I made my meatless pasta. It was so good. Mm. And then I had two different pieces of cake. My parents brought this like chocolate, like roulade kind of cake, you know, one of those Swiss mm. roll things. Yeah. And also a poppy seed cake from the store. And I'm fully prepared and satiated. Well, I just heard that the state's about to designate uh, Switzerland, I think, as a currency manipulator. <laughs> I just read about it. I mean, aren't they like an everything manipulator? Yeah, exactly. It's shocking to me that they've just been successfully able to uh, fly under the radar for God. like since like ever, medieval times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well done, Guillaume Tell. <laughs> I should uh, read the Wikipedia article on Swiss court Jews and see what was happening. I hope my ex-boyfriend's <laughs> not listening to this podcast. <laughs> oh my god. That's an oh. evil laugh. <laughs> <clears throat> By the way, this is Lucky episode 13. Oh my god. That explains the huge blizzard we're getting today. Yeah. We started October 1st really yeah it's only been two months uh like month three now my god i feel like we've been doing it for over a year at least we did all of october all of november and half of december now that's i think it's just i think it's just a covid ptsd (laughs) totally it's not even it's not even a a p it's just a tsd (laughs) Is that a thing? Probably. Okay, have you entered one of those pyramid scheme book exchanges where you get 36 books sent to you? No, tell me more about it. It's like all people are posting on Instagram stories the last couple of weeks. It just, it'll like die down for a few days and then it just reemerges. I haven't seen it. Maybe it's just on your side of the pond. Maybe I'll send it to you. It's like, uh, I hope, I hope all my friends will share this and participate it's like if you send one book to this name on a list you'll end up getting 36 books back i'm just like this sounds like a data harvesting scam is that some like chinese uh attempt to continue spreading the wuhan virus through <laughs> contact uh a uh, transmission <sighs> um no i haven't heard uh about it funnily enough seems seems shady i'll send it to you um Ika said that he did that when he was a teenager and it doesn't work. So huh. I think because all it takes is one person to not fully commit. Yeah. And then it's just like, you're not Much gonna... like democracy. <laughs> um, well, you know, you've been in my neighborhood. Uh, every other house has this like bird feeder style, like a uh, little library exchange library thing. Oh yeah. I wanted I was... to put one on my house. Yeah. Those are cute. Do you have people, like, potential readers, though, passing by your house? Um, I mean, there's people walking by every day. It's it's a, kind of a closed group of people, as in it's a village. So, I don't know how much 
kind of exchange would be happening if there was like a hundred people. But I mean, well, I think it could well, be good. It for, takes a village. Yeah, exactly. But I think it would be good for kids. I mean, I think they would be more curious and would be excited to like get a new book or something more so than someone grizzled like me. <laughs> <laughs> do you get like one of those mobile libraries in your region no my house used to be the library for the village and then huge oh, and then it closed at some point and there is a, a municipal library but it's like 12 minutes away mm-hmm. um do you have, like yeah any like other mobile uh, amenities like a mobile needle exchange or <laughs> a mobile, mobile safe, lab safe injection site <laughs> uh no oh there is a mammo bus but i haven't seen it in action where you get like yeah. mobile mammography mm-hmm. oh by the way uh, side point did they ever translate it takes a village into polish <laughs> <laughs> i wonder if it exists maybe that'll make for a good christmas present oh my god uh, don't you don't <laughs> don't even joke Here, let, let's see uh it takes a village. Also, the Kamala Harris uh, children's book. You should also look up if it was translated into Polish. Uh, I should check. Sorry, oh, I'm, I know I'm the sipping I, coffee. I know the Michelle Obama book. Uh, that one is in Polish. That I've seen at the bookstore, like very prominently. What is it? What was the uh, t- title translated to in Polish? I kind of feel like it's becoming as well. Did they add some Z's and C's? <laughs> to- <laughs> uh, oh, so it's becoming and then Moya Historia, which I'm sure you can figure out what that means. <laughs> <laughs> what about Dr. Jill Biden's book? Has that been translated? <laughs> I'm sorry. Am I allowed to laugh at that controversy? <laughs> PhD in a chimeric gender X simulacra. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to offend a friend of the pot, Ike. I'm going to get flack for it after the recording. <laughs> um, yeah. You know what I have noticed, though? I feel like whenever she is addressed as Dr. Jill Biden, it comes out in a situation where you wouldn't even say, like, Mrs. Biden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's kind of a funny aspect to it. I don't even know where I stand on it. Like we were watching a uh, season two finale, I guess yesterday of uh, the West wing. And there's this whole, sorry, I'm going to spoil it for, uh, for <laughs> listeners. There's this whole controversy on this show where the, the president had uh, been hiding his um, like MS. Oh yeah. From, the, from the public and his wife's a doctor and there's this, this whole like controversy around it. But like, there's this like annoying, like back and forth between her and the staff about how she wants to be called at the press conference to like, you know, mitigate the, uh, the potential, uh, like effect of the exposure. Um, and she's, uh, she's famously, um, you know, portrayed the, uh, sorry, having a Biden brain fart. Um, <laughs> the president's wife on the show is uh, soccer Channing. Oh yeah. From Greece, which I never watched. Oh my God. Yeah. And it's funny because she looks so like transiently 
like on her way to a new face already back then <laughs> like in the late 90s i guess so i looked up pictures of her from like greece era and she already looked like a little boy basically Aww. in that era and like in 2020 her face is like uh she looks like that swiss uh cat lady what's her name <laughs> jocelyn wildenstein yeah is she Jewish? <laughs> I wonder if she's Jewish. If she changed her name from like uh, um, Wildenstein and uh, like something a little more Jewy. Um, Let me check. Yeah, she's dating someone like forty years her. Yeah, she's she's forty years his senior now. I guess uh, doesn't say anything um, about being Jewish, but it says Jocelyn say um it's so funny because anywhere outside of uh, germanic countries if you have a stein in your last name you like you, oh, totally. you're jewish period but like yeah. in switzerland germany all those places like yeah. no one thinks you're jewish with a stein in your last yeah. name how do you explain that that's so weird uh i don't know yeah well i th- i also feel like a lot of names were maybe changed at like ellis island or something i feel right. like more steins were probably added than really were there i mean guberstein was my my original last name my so my father's side of the family that came to israel in the late sorry early 60s uh they did have to like hebrewize their name upon arrival in israel they didn't have to but it was such like a melting pot sort yeah. of uh unwritten rule that uh, my dad's birth name, Vovka, was changed to Zev, which is basically wolf in Hebrew. Uh-huh. And my late aunt's birth name, uh, Ludmila, was changed into Leah. Oh, I know many Ludmilas. Yeah, I kind of like that name. Yeah. But uh, and, uh, I know one in Berlin. Grandma- and my grandmother, Lydia, didn't have to touch her name. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good name. She's still called Lydia. That's a good name. Yeah. Lidka. That's, the, that's yeah. the short for Lydia in Polish. The diminutive. Can everybody please cross their fingers really hard for her? She's in a senior care facility now. Oh, and no. I'm just really hoping that they vaccinate her ASAP because she hasn't seen the fucking rest of the family in almost a year now. Oh, horrible. Yeah. It's crazy. Like whenever I talk to her and I ask her how she's doing there, she's like, everybody's so young and annoying here. <laughs> how old is she? She's much like the Queen of England, is 93 years old. Uh, Not in as good a state as the Queen of England, but um, I don't know, I guess. uh, Well, when you didn't have to do anything all your life. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Your fucking grandchild's in a, very much like us, is starting a podcast now on the West Coast (laughs) with his idiot wife. Oh my God. They're both idiots. They're both just annoying. Yeah, but like we had no expectations of him like he's just a brat what's her excuse they're all just annoying the whole royal family yeah uh and sorry i'm gonna go there if diana was alive today she'd probably be really annoying too uh you know what i i was giving some thought to it the other week with all the crown like uh um dominating the news like what makes you think that Mm, I don't know. Just look at Fergie. I mean, Fergie was never kind of uh, 
the princess of hearts or whatever uh diana was referred to what was the what was the tagline again was it princess the princess of, of hearts princess of hearts yeah yeah i mean she was sweet and fergie i think people never had that association with but but i mean diana would have never been the face of like weight watchers 20 years later mm-hmm. much like fergie was i don't know i maybe because she was after the divorce she was she got some sort of settlement which wasn't that big and then kind of the glamorous lifestyle she was leading was basically by dating Dodi al-fayed and the guy before Dodi al-fayed so they were like had a private jet and like you know could bankroll this glamorous lifestyle so I who mean, knows she, if that would have continued? She had class though, and I I can't tell if I'm thinking or saying that because of the like the posthumous sort of elevation uh, of her character. But uh, like, just my my two cents sort of very superficial analysis of her is that she had like she had a uh, she was born classy. I kind of yeah. feel like. I mean, well, she literally was born into class, so. <laughs> she was born into class. I also can't say if I'm, like, uh, if I'm biased because of David, my dealer here in New York, who's... <laughs> A stan. Shout out, shout out to David. No, Stan is putting it mildly. Yeah. Uh, David, don't hate me for what I said about Princess Diana potentially being annoying <laughs> if she were alive today. <laughs> He's a uh, Diana reincarnated in a hairy Jewish man. <laughs> <laughs> with a hot bod that's right david you heard it here um, yeah yeah i feel like david you're you're pretty much like a chimeric robin williams meets diana <laughs> that would be my best description of you david so david if you, you if you still want canadian citizenship we can get married Just uh, saying. here's a i here's on the market there you go so single and ready to uh, mingle. As am I, if anyone's listening. True. <laughs> and you are moving to Berlin in a matter of a month and a half? Yeah. That means I'm going to be bi-coastal in this border area. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for anyone with the with a 550 square foot apartment and a house in the countryside... <laughs> <laughs> You sound like uh, the typical person on House Hunters International. <laughs> I just watched an episode in Floral Park, New York on Long Island. Where the hell is that? Uh, they said how many miles, but I forget. But basically, it was a nursery, and then the owner of the nursery turned it into a development, and that's why it's called Floral Park, New York. Why is everything so fucking tacky on that show? I mean, <laughs> don't get me wrong. I love House Hunters International or anything on HGTV, but like, there's just, it's as if they like screen them especially to like find the most tacky people in the tackiest locations. On oh, Earth. totally. Uh, yeah, I can't decide which goes more extreme. Like, the American version, when they have those episodes, uh, you know, in kind of like Midwest suburbia, there's some very bleak houses, but then international can get very bleak too. When it's like, yeah, it's always like a washed up couple, like a like a Canadian couple 
something looking for like a vacation home yeah. in some like godforsaken like port city and like <laughs> bumfuck portugal portugal sorry <laughs> don't mean to offend madonna and her uh clan <laughs> or, like, the, cl- the classic like uh like old catchers mid-german couple like uh, oven fry oh, looking yeah. to move to ibiza or something yeah yeah exactly well so i just saw an episode that was it was two retired cops, a man and a woman, just to be clear. Bleak. Yeah. From Oregon. So I'm like, oh, they're obviously white supremacists. Were they retired because they because they defunded their police force? <laughs> Basically. <laughs> and they're like the the wife's like, I've been going to Cabo. I think it was Cabo. Where the hell is that? Like Cabo San Lucas in Mexico. It was either Cabo or it was Puerto Vallarta. Anyway, Mm -hmm. one of those, like a very common, oh, it was Cabo. It's like, I've been going to Cabo for 23 years now and finally am buying something. This has been my lifelong dream. And the list of demands was so absurd because the guy needs a garage to work on his truck, of course. Yeah. It's like, ugh. That's so dumb. Well, my sister just texted the family group chat. They like finally decided to like go on vacation. They live in Israel. They've just been feeling so cooped up in that tiny country with all the lockdown and everything. So they just, uh, they, uh, they bit the bullet and they went to the, uh, Seychelles. Oh, wow. And, uh, she was just texting the family chat because they like took a shuttle boat, something to like the next hotel and they show up at the hotel and it's closed. Oh my god. They closed down the hotel. So she's like live texting us their uh Oh my god. Um, their adventures and trying to find new accommodations for her and the three kids and the husband. And it's crazy. It's a country of a hundred thousand people. Yeah. And, and I have being... a friend from there in Winnipeg. Really? One of those one hundred thousand people. Shout out it's to so Shirley. Fun. It's so funny, like uh, between uh, Seychelles, I guess Israel designated as a as a green country, so Israelis are flocking there. Uh-huh. Um, so you like finally get away from like feeling cooped up in Israel, but you like spend I don't know six hours on the flight or something, like packed, surrounded oh by tourists, and then you get there, and I'm sure every single hotel is just like completely populated by Israelis. Oh my um, god. And then they also normalized relations with the uh, with some uh, Emirate states a couple of months ago. So Israelis are like flocking to Dubai now, which I'm dying to go and I'm trying to find us a residency opportunity there. Oh, yeah. We have to go. I really yeah. want to go to malls with you. Oh, my uh, God. Yes. Water parks. Um, also just like uh, tacky karaoke parties and yeah. hotel alcohol filled because you know you're not allowed to drink alcohol there if you're Muslim so they like figured out a loophole where hotels are allowed to uh, offer it and so uh, it's not just for tourists it's where the locals come to like um, get wasted essentially oh my god but uh, still an extremely homophobic and uh, dangerous place to live if you're a little off the you know normative spectrum. Yeah, sadly. But if you open scruff, it's popping off. So just, I just, just, do, just do the scruff search for Dubai. I just like want to re, re-enact a number of scenes from Sex and the City to <laughs> the movie. In Abu Dhabi. In Abu Dhabi. Okay, so we have to go to Abu Dhabi. We have to go to Dubai. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so uh, if can you actually, uh, well, maybe not now, but pull up the sati- the listener statistics and see if we have any uh, any ears tuned into us in the Emirates. I will open that now and get back to you shortly okay, with that so data. The, with that data. So uh, in the meantime, I'll just uh, give a uh, tease news update to our listeners. Um, the podcast has been invited to participate in an amazing artist residency in Norway um, next September. It's called Coast Contemporary. And it's this sort of type of traveling artist residency that kind of assembles artists and art workers uh, and takes them on a journey. Um, And according to their website, its uh, goal is to introduce artists and the art scene to the international one, the public, and to each other. Uh, The program includes exhibitions, talks, film, nature, debates, performance, food, readings, travel, presentations, and lectures. Um... I know it's going to be amazing for a fact because I did a residency, an artist residency in Bergen about four or five years ago. Um, Norway's famous for being heavily funded by the state. So the art sector is heavily funded by the state. And um, artist unions are also a big player in that scene. And so essentially you go to art school. Sorry for dumbing it down to our like hyper capitalist uh, <laughs> Western hemisphere listeners uh sorry us and and such uh so you go to art school in norway which is free of charge and then after you graduate you're essentially uh you apply for funding from like the arts council um it's like this special arts funding for emerging artists and from the union you get money and you can get a grant for like uh you know to execute a project or such for like uh for one to up to 10 years which is insane um and norwegians are just like i don't know on the one hand there's like barely any commercial um sector there in the arts which like say what you will about it but on the other hand everybody gets a fair shake and how they uh sort of get their foot in the door so we'll be going on this residency in september and we'll be doing some fun recordings and maybe in upcoming episodes leading up to the residency we're going to have some special guests on the pod to uh illuminate and shed some more light on uh norway and its uh, art scene so fun uh fun prospects post-covid yeah I am so fucking excited. Can't wait to be there with you. Can't wait to podcast up a storm. Can't wait to be live on location. Yes. I'm already uh I'm already scheming, plotting to get a fun color zoom recorder. I see they come in a uh a rainbow of options. Oh totally. I can't wait to be at Oslo's biggest mall, which is it Oslo City or is it Palit or is it Biporten Shopping? Can can our Oz- Oslo listeners please chime in? <laughs> Tell us which mall we should go to. Um, honestly, I'm not sure if the uh, if the next edition is uh, passing through Oslo, but I'm definitely tacking on some like uh, some big city. Uh, oh no, we have to go to Oslo. I've never been yeah. to Norway, so we're gonna yeah. make that happen. Um. Norway's amazing. People are amazing. Their English is Americanized without the sort of like the cheesy, like kitsch vibe that um, Swedes, I'm sorry, 
um speak it with and they're kind of like i was telling you the other day norwegians are like uh like americans at the intersection of germany they're like they're accessibly american in sort of their their mentality but they have like a dark edge to them like germans do can't um, wait but, but all together it makes for like a fun people well can't wait to drive in a tesla there they love teslas and oh, true um i hope there's like a preserved fish product we can try oh they have that famous uh i think it's called lutefisk it's like a fish that they bury in the ground in oh, yeah. brine or something like that yeah rose Island would always uh talk about lutefisk <laughs> i had whale meat when i was oh, in nice Berlin. Uh, it tasted like like a gamey version of tuna, mm. essentially. I hope we don't uh, get some unsubscribers after this. Yeah, uh, sorry, this announcement. And I hope we don't get a parasite <laughs> from a whale. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I've checked the statistics. We've had one listener from the UAE. Does it spit? sorry choking on my jewel uh does it specify which emirate no it just says united arab emirates interesting i would just like to point out there are a few countries where we've had one listener and i'm gonna list them now (laughs) yeah call them out okay we're calling out the following countries united arab emirates argentina bulgaria brazil (laughs) how is that possible there's so many people in brazil Indonesia, as British people say, uh, <laughs> New Zealand, Philippines. What? Our Pinoy fans are not tuning in. And Russia. What? Honestly, I feel like as uh, in regards to New Zealand, it's only because they don't have a lockdown there anymore. So people are not <laughs> cooped up at home and have to listen to podcasts all day long. <sighs> um, oh, well. Yeah. Well, who knows? Maybe after this uh, formal acknowledgement of our journalistic achievements uh, by way of this residency invitation, maybe we'll get nominated and uh, get a Pulitzer Prize in one of the (laughs) following subcategories of journalism. There's public service, breaking news reporting, investigative reporting, explanatory reporting, local reporting, national reporting, international reporting, feature writing. Uh, I feel like we're totally eligible for all of the above. Oh, totally. Especially once we do our three-part series on gallery girls and work of art. I think we'll definitely be qualifying. If anything, I, sh- I think we should be you know, getting the ball rolling on renewing those, uh, those shows for maybe a, a new season or a reunion or something. Oh, totally. Does anyone know someone at bravo programming an andy cohen bottom perhaps if Honestly, so I'm, yeah i'm sure us. somebody i'm sure somebody hooked up with uh, one of our listeners had hooked up with andy cohen in the past two months i know that one of our listeners received scruff messages from andy cohen i mean what else what else does he do he's like either at home with the baby i'm sure there's some uh, <laughs> some uh live-in au pair 
to take care of that and uh like it's not like he's hanging out with uh anderson <laughs> who also just recently became a uh, father no yeah he did okay. well i guess it's a it's been a long journey from the milan to minsk <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the David Burns steam room to fatherhood. David Burns? Like from Sorry. Talking Heads? No. <laughs> the David Barton Jim steam oh, room. Okay. Brendan Fernandez, friend of the pod, who, by the way, I don't think has listened to one episode yet. That's right. We're calling you out. Um, oh <laughs> he needs he, to add a hashtag thoughts on arts to his uh, multiple hashtag posts on instagram just to give us a shout out return the favor b <laughs> and we don't mean bethany um yeah <laughs> he took me on a guest pass a few times to david barton gym in chelsea which has since closed and that's where i was barged in on anderson cooper in the change room oh my god he looked very Does- gray is his penis trans as translucent <laughs> as his facial skin <laughs> he was clothed sadly oh my god our little naked mole <laughs> um wait is that the david barton that was on 23rd street or is that the one that was in that church across the street from where i guess the whole foods or that container store is now uh, the last location was in that church, which used to be Limelight, I believe, the c- mm-hmm. club. Um, but before that, I think it was on 23rd, like where the donut plant is. Is that on 23rd? It was around there. The The donut plant, I think, is at the bottom of the Chelsea Hotel. Yeah, it's around there. I think okay. it's, yeah, across from Chelsea Hotel or the old location. So, yeah, that's where we went. The gym was ridiculous. It was like a nightclub. Yeah, there was a DJ pool and everything. Yeah. And yeah, there was like a DJ. There were vodka shots. They had an event called Buffed and Buzzed. Wait, vodka <laughs> shots while you work out? How does yes. that work? They had these like weird events. Um, and then the steam room was a New York legend. And that's all we'll say on this PG 13 podcast. Oh my God. Ay, ay, ay. In other news. Pete Buttigieg nominated for transportation <laughs> minister, I guess. Is it because gays um, are walk like to walk fast or <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you have to have gotten railed at least once to be nominated for this position. No pun intended. Uh, and the only segue to that is that he speaks Norwegian fluently. <laughs> oh that was one of his like uh, primary sticks. One of his McKinsey uh, accomplishments. <laughs> yeah, I'll say it again. I think he's cute. You can have that and own it. <laughs> what about Chasten? <laughs> no, that's. Uh... I'm going to mince, mince my words on that. Uh... I can't believe also, he's going to be first lady of transportation. Oh my god. <laughs> um Yeah, so uh can't wait to have better transportation in this country. <laughs> Maybe the Norwegian model. <laughs> what Tesla's for everyone? <laughs> yeah, you exactly. get a Tesla, you get a Tesla, you get a Tesla. Um <clears throat> Also uh yeah. So that was just a unimportant piece of news that uh I want to share with everybody. 
And uh, maybe so we don't have people dropping off on us mid-episode, we could actually start talking about some art-related uh, topics. Okay. Um, so continuing our year slash decade in review series leading up to <laughs> the end of this miserable year uh <laughs> what should we talk about maybe a miserable person <laughs> oh yeah that sounds good who would be a great candidate who would you say would top the, the chart of most miserable arts related uh, personas well, I just dropped a pile of papers on the way to the trash can, and this article <laughs> somehow surfaced. Uh, it <laughs> Wait, I'm just going to my freezer to retrieve some big gulps and uh, some, reheat them. Yeah, some coffees you bought days ago at 7-Eleven and have been needlessly chilling and reheating in a microwave. <laughs> Wait, I'm just getting a fresh batch of E. coli um, for my stale reheated coffee that I got at 7-Eleven. Um, hint, hint. <laughs> so who could that person be? Well, according to the article, which is from November 27th, 2018 in New York Magazine, how to be an artist 33 rules to take you from a clueless amateur to generational talent or at least help you live life a little more creatively by jerry saltz who is that person i feel like i'm uh, blocked by them and have blocked <laughs> them on every single social media platform well i too have been blocked by this person Mm -hmm. uh merely for liking a comment you made <laughs> really what was that comment i don't even remember so years ago on facebook he posted some dumbass bullshit as usual uh <laughs> you had made a comment on the post which wasn't mean or argumentative it was just a mild counterpoint to his argument whatever it was and I liked it, and he blocked both of us. <laughs> Notorious thin-skinned Jerry Saltz. Uh, I feel like, if anything, this decade has blessed us with a Donald Trump for every sector of the, of the society. He's the Donald Trump of the arts. We had the Donald Trump of uh, politics with Donald Trump. <laughs> um <clears throat> So uh yeah this uh this article which I guess is a like a snippet or an excerpt from his uh from the book that um is entitled similarly which I recently saw heavily reduced at Barnes and Noble <laughs> for the holiday um and it wasn't even featured in like a main section of Barnes and Noble it was by the register with the like um uh, Mass Brothers chocolate and uh <laughs> which is some not pink farm pussy. to table <laughs> yeah some pink pussy hat um fridge magnets um yeah so this is uh this was published a couple of years ago and it was sort of leading up to the publication of the of his book kind of uh arts for dummies i guess by art's biggest dummy um <laughs> 
And the article opens by saying, art is for everyone. It's not just for everyone. I know this viscerally as a would-be artist who burnt out. Um, just to give our listeners some uh, point of reference, uh, Jerry Saltz, um, as he likes to tell every single person he's ever interacted with, used to be a long-haul truck driver um traversing the states coast to coast <laughs> which uh, is also a perfect cover for a serial killer yeah exactly um so that used to be his career before he i guess turned into trying to make a, a living for himself as an artist um and he continues to say when last month banksy jerry rigged a frame to a shred uh, to, sorry to shred a painting just when it was auctioned i could almost hear the whispers is that art <laughs> this fall the biggest museum event in new york is the whitney's retrospective of andy warhol the parag- paradigmatic self-made make anything art and yourself famous artist Today, we are all Andy's children, especially in the age of Instagram, which has trained everyone to think visually and to look at our regular lives as fodder for aesthetic output. And then the article goes on to list several steps, um, sort of uh, recommendations by the JER on how to become a successful artist. And why don't we tackle a couple of those uh, (laughs) shitty recommendations from a self-proclaimed uh, shitty artist and a failed one um, at that, which doesn't make it any better. I mean, self-deprecation is not the uh, uh, is not the ends to everything. Yeah, maybe I will write a book about uh, open heart surgery or <laughs> <laughs> international tax law. Um, I'm su- I'm surprised uh, SVA or like Pratt didn't give him an honorary doctor's uh, degree. Yeah, he could be Dr. Jerry Saltz. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, okay, why don't we pick something extra shitty from his uh, from his bullet mm, points of recommendations? Lesson three, feel free to imitate. <laughs> we all start as copycats. People who make pastiches of other people's work. Okay, that's like every figurative painter <laughs> that's hot today. <laughs> Basically. They just took his advice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fine, do that. However, when you do this, focus. Start to feel the sense of possibility in making all these things your own, even when the ideas, tools, and moves come from other artists. Whenever you make anything, think of yourself as entering a gigantic stadium filled with ideas, avenues ways means and materials and possibilities make these things yours this is your house now (laughs) um i don't know sounds like uh sounds like advocating for like being a spoiled brat (laughs) and sort of setting a very low bar for quality and creativity by just you know relying heavily on other people's sort of previous success yeah. and, uh, and precedents. What's your take on it? What do you think? Uh, it's just like that kind of the most basic Warholism. I just about like, mm-hmm. you know, stealing from others and whatever. Just like, is that really the advice to give? <laughs> Honestly, I also don't think that most of the stuff we're seeing these days is sort of, you could call copycats or sort of intentional 
like irony laden or uh, criticism laden pastiche i feel like a lot of the like art history references just go over most people's heads and they make stuff without even realizing that it's sort of um copy pasted yeah um from other styles and genres yeah well it's like um the earlier avery singer paintings which were much more clearly like a, a sketchup drawing more so than the works now. Like, do you think, for example, she consciously was aware of Marinette Larson's work, which is kind of like the more colorful version of that work? Probably um, not. I don't know. I, I think that's I mean, just a coincidence. She, yeah. I, I don't know. She's a smart cookie and she went to uh, Cooper union I'm assuming, I'm assuming she knew uh, yeah. this had pre pre-existed her, uh, but I get your point. Or but like also him, also him saying like, this is your house now. No, it's not. I feel like you have to do a lot of sort of legwork before you can even claim any sort of uh, yeah. sense of entitlement either to your work or to your, your place in this, uh, um, in this field. Yeah. Well, or like David Ostrowski and uh, the Michael or Michael Kraber paintings. What's the story there? Oh, no, I'm just saying like they're kind of very similar. Do you think uh, that's a conscious thing? Or again, is it just like, well, I mean, all these ideas are out there, kind of like Mm -hmm. minimal scrawls or squiggles on a canvas? Why are we even paying so much, uh, so much uh, time and energy to this idiot's advice? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Scrap the episode. Yes. <laughs> yeah, this, this episode's over. Because um, it's fun to make fun of. <laughs> True. <laughs> because I just opened the Amazon page, which, by the way, I'm boycotting Amazon and not ordering anything else from there. Um, so from the publisher of How to Be an Artist, the book... Um, there's this graphic that's like, start anywhere. Just don't stop. And the steps are like, step one, don't be embarrassed. Step 13, start working when you wake up. Uh, let go of being good. Start thinking about creating. Never feel intimidated. Art is just a container you pour yourself in. Step 22, find your own voice, then exaggerate it. Okay. That one's already annoying. (laughs) And step 63, oh, and once a year, go dancing. Oh, Jerry Saltz, we saw you dancing in that fucking Jay-Z music video. Oh, my God. <laughs> we should we should dedicate a whole episode to that Shande. Oh, yeah. Like, all the people that appeared in there and embarrassed themselves, we're going to do a full 90-minute deconstruction of that. <laughs> Honestly, I'm surprised those people haven't been categorically canceled and excommunicated from the arts community after that embarrassing uh stunt. oh totally no we should uh amass some people and do a full oral history i'm sure there must have been someone working in chelsea that day that we know who got the email blast to uh, <laughs> uh i'm just like i'm just seeing images of marilyn minter like <laughs> like dancing with jc and just like oh old white people dancing so sad. I wonder how many of them appeared on art uh, art reviews, hundred top players list in previous year. That same year, actually. What year did that song come out? I so like 
block that song out because it was so bad. Like 2012 or something like that. Jay-Z sucks. I'm sorry. Jay-Z, Jay-Z used to be amazing, but Jay-Z... JC JC Chazé sucks. <laughs> uh, uh, also, I'm sorry, I'm 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 white, so I'm no authority on the matter. But Beyonce, overrated at this point. Like, I truly enjoyed the self-titled album, which I listened to. Sorry, there's some like COVID-related <laughs> sirens in the background. I think that's the beehive coming to get you. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they're going to vaccinate another black woman who had a sexual affair with Andrew Cuomo at a uh, Jewish nursery home. Um, anyways, yeah, that self-titled album of Beyonce I loved when I when I just moved to New York uh, six years ago. I think it came out, and I it was kind of like my my introduction to New York soundtrack. Uh, but like Lemonade had like barely two good songs on it. <laughs> I can't stop laughing. <laughs> what did I say? Just everything you've been saying for the last sixty seconds. Like crying. Well, you didn't see the video of that, like the the black nurse who I guess was cajoled into being the first person to get vaccinated in uh, nowhere else, but like not even a public hospital. Like, <laughs> no, I saw a, that, and actually, uh, someone we know knows her. Um, but I found out yesterday. But no one said the Jewish seniors. <laughs> it is. It's like a Jewish healthcare facility. Like that's the place you picked out of all the like. The worst hit area hospitals. <laughs> and the Andrew um, thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, just calling a spade a spade here. Sorry, I'm out of control laughing. My stomach hurts. <laughs> your, like, your, your, your good mood lamp uh, is uh, working too well. <laughs> no, after you said that, I had to go off mic. <laughs> like, we should, we should have a mute button. <laughs> Oh my god! Um, <laughs> anyways, yeah, no, can was, you just can sorry, you just corroborate? Can you just corroborate that Lemonade is not a good album? Uh, the self-titled album is way better, and I was listening to it in the studio two days ago, working on my new paintings that I'll discuss later. Um, yeah, and the self-titled album's amazing, and it was such a major cultural moment. It was a reset. It was uh, a, a a big leap forward for her. Totally. It was and, like a conceptually yeah. strong album with catchy songs, dealt with her, you know, autobiography. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like it's a Beyonce distortion field moment to be like, oh, totally. Lemonade's a better album. Just like, I know that we obviously all relate to the songs differently. And I'm obviously not a black woman. Um, but you're not. S- <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe not everyone knows me. Um, and <laughs> but just sonically, it's like the the self-titled album is a better song, a better album musically, better production. Mm-hmm. It's a I, pop I album. Will, it's not a I will ev- memoir. I will even venture venture to say that it's so cohesive and unique in its sort of soundscape that it's her. It's her confessions on a dance floor. Totally. And it's, uh, like you said, a a big leap forward. It's where she was like a fully 
realized adult artist. But honestly, it's not. It wasn't even a a big leap forward. It was a big fluke forward. <laughs> because like, I don't know. And also that fucking Lion King album. I gave it two listens. It's not worth your time. Uh, oh well. Who, Be, uh, <clears throat> Beehive, don't come for us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Jerry also advises us, uh, there's a, an exercise recommendation here, forget (laughs) being a genius and develop some skills. Uh, and he goes on to mentioning some bullet point advices. Um, I think all artists should one, build a clay pot two sew pieces of fabric (laughs) together, three prune a tree Four. Make a wooden bowl on a lathe by carving, which oh, you did actually that. did. <laughs> did that. Uh, make a lithograph, etching, or woodblock print. Make one hokey dolly-like painting or mini Kusama light installation to get this out of your system. Oh, God, you're such a fucking idiot. Um, my ex- <laughs> exercise advice to you listeners, don't do any of the above mentioned <laughs> It will get you nowhere. Like my um, wooden lathe work. <laughs> oh, th- that would that's an actual skill that like is worth maybe taking up. Um uh, it just sounds like he's really like itching to get a position like a teaching position at SVA, like like first like Oh, um, like intro like to be- art. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not even intro to art because I don't think he knows that much about art history in a way that could be constructive to students but i think he he's good at like putting together some like dumb assignments just to like humor himself and having the students think that he's some like demigod (laughs) yeah that that list is one term worth of work you're exactly exactly right it's like september to december this is what you need to get done yeah like well, one of my uh, one of my professors at Udakao was this like uh, famed design uh, exhibition designer whatever, uh, and he would give us all these like very technical and practical assignments, which I appreciated because it's sort of like it uh, it chiseled at your like skill level, but he also thought of himself as a fucking god, which was so far oh, from god. the truth. Um. Well, yeah. guess what, Amir? I have done everything on that list minus making the dolly like painting or kusama mm-hmm. light installation really you've yeah. pruned a tree i've pruned a tree i've oh sewn pieces of fabric together i've built a clay pot I, uh, i've I made a done... etching oh well i haven't made any of those things well when you come for my residency here in rural poland oh, we, can, totally. we can do them all uh Let's see. What are some other nonsense entries on here? <laughs> Let's see. Lesson 10. Find your own voice, then exaggerate it. Okay. There's some Philip Gustin. <laughs> Ooh, prescient. Also, it sounds like he's just trying to like excuse himself for his squeaky wheel voice. Because um, his voice is very much exaggerated, much to everyone else's chagrin. Yeah. Um, yeah. You want to read that bit? Okay. It says, if someone says your work looks like someone else's and you should stop making it, I say, don't stop doing it. It's like, bitch, you just said to copy everyone. Um, yeah. D- 
do it again. Do it a hundred times or a thousand times. Then ask an artist friend whom whom you trust if your work still looks too much like the other person's art. If it still looks too much like the other person's, try another path. Imagine the horror Philip Gustin must have felt when he followed his own voice and went from being a first-string abstract expressionist in the 1950s <laughs> to painting clunky, cartoony figures, smoking cigars, driving around in convertibles, and wearing KKK hoods. He was all but shunned for this. He followed his voice anyway. This work is now some of the most revered from the entire period. In your downtime, exercise, an archaeology Make an index, family tree, chart, or diagram of your interests. All of them, everything, visual, physical, spiritual, sexual. Oh, he loves... Yeah. Um, just ask any woman who has felt uncomfortable on his social media. I'm um, not a woman, and I feel sexually <laughs> offended by him. Yeah, exactly. Um, leisure time, hobbies, foods, buildings, airports, everything. Every book, movie, website etc. The totality of the self-exposure may be daunting, scary, but your voice is here. This will become a resource and record to return to and add to for the rest of your life. <laughs> I mean, let's 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 humor him for a minute. Do you how do you sort of keep track of your influences or inspirations? Do you have a method to, you know, the stream of consciousness that's kind of thrown at you? Not really. I think it's more, it's an intuitive thing. Like in the moment, maybe an idea will pop into my head. Um, and obviously it resonates with me and that's, you know, built on the basis of Pashemic. Uh, mm-hmm. but I don't need to be making like flow charts of like, what do I like? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I kind of resent the fact that, there's this sense that you're supposed to document sort of every last thought or sort of follow the trace of every last inspiration or influence to, in an attempt to sort of crystallize how it kind of manifests itself in the work that you make or how it translates into visuals or expressed ideas. Like to me, one of the greater kind of appeals in making art is the fact that between intake and output there's so much mystery and, and like it's kind of a, a black hole that things kind of get sucked into and shoot out of in a way that i neither want to have control over or really want to understand how it works perfectly yeah um if anything it frustrates me to you know like go see a museum show love it and like force myself to try to translate that emotional aesthetic impact into something in my work like it's like i'm not a i'm not a fucking chinese person at a village rendering like master pieces like it's not about creating facsimiles or like transliterating the things that impacted you or affected you like i think i guess what i'm trying to say is you just gotta leave room for wiggle room for the mystery sort of aspect to kind of do its thing yeah. No, I I I know what you mean. I agree. That's my advice. Yeah, I like this idea like this black box um 
like in that O.J. Simpson trial um, courtroom diagram, which I will post on the Instagram, <laughs> the black box, what happens in here? Nobody knows. And I think mm-hmm. that's how uh, that's how good ideas come about. It's like you're not squeezing water out of a stone. I think they just come to you like it is uh, in a magical way. <laughs> and right? Also, I feel like, yeah, I mean, also we're like, I it's very hard to let your guards down and not sort of constantly, at least for me to like think, overthink, analyze, overanalyze. Like there's rare moments in your day where you actually let those like psychological guards down and let sort of organic thoughts kind of surprise you. Like I find, for example, that when I shower, (laughs) all of a sudden, like the best ideas come to me. Yeah. Uh, and it's not like I'm not a genius. It's not like brilliant ideas. It's just like I get a, a new thought that uh, didn't fit in like my heavily orchestrated thought cycle of the day. Um, yeah. yeah. But exactly. Um, they just pop into your head out of nowhere. That's the thing. It's uh, It's not like you're sitting there and, okay, I have 30 minutes before I leave this room. I have to come up with ideas. Yeah. And also just fucking give it a break. You're not a, like, not you specifically, but no one's a genius. Uh, we weren't put on this earth to like be cocooned in an environment that's supposed to like, uh, you know, let us uh, sue in our thoughts to like create the most brilliant compositions yeah. and paintings and sculptures. Like we have to live our lives and it's, it's the stuff that happens when you do other things that I guess contributes to your creation. Um, and like even fucking I don't know Da Vinci was <laughs> was like, like was sure busy like innovating and inventing the wheels and such, but like like I don't know he lived his own life and was just like predestined to like come up with genius things. It wasn't like he was given like a a, a heavy like. Um, trust fund to like spend four years doing his like mfa somewhere just so he could like create his genius inventions yeah which i guess i'm saying that in order to refute sort of the notion that like uh the most coveted like um art art schooling situations necessarily yield like uh the new genius or the new brilliant sort of creation yeah um yeah anywho um i'm gonna actually side with the devil here in lesson 12 know what you hate um actually the subheader says it is probably you i disagree um i disagree yeah (laughs) um exercise make a list of arts make a list of three artists whose work you despise make a list of five things about each artist that you do not like be as specific as possible often there's something about what these artists do that you share really think about that um i actually agree with that like i don't i'm not as anal as to like you know make lists of uh, specifying what I what I t- detest or don't like about an artist's work, but I do try to give it some sort of bandwidth when I encounter a work that like really evokes negative emotions or reactions in me. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, 
I find that it boils down to um, either the artist's persona, uh, my issues that I usually take with an artist's work are oftentimes not merit-based, but I have a hard time explaining this, but um, like, I don't know, I'm stuck on this one. I feel like good work, um, even if I find myself hating the artist or the work, after a while, this sort of sense of hatred will thaw out and I will find myself sort of separating out the artist's persona, which I might or might not take issue with, and the merit of the work. So I'm just I'm not gonna name names, but like there's several artists in the past like a couple couple of years that I find I found myself really disliking the work because of all the hype that I guess was attached to it. And once yeah. that sort of died down, it sort of allowed me to look at the work in more like sober uh, with sober eyes. Yeah. Um, where do, where do you stand on like what makes you despise is a strong word but like <laughs> what makes you normally dislike work is it on the merits is it on what is it on uh i think when there's a lot of hype i just find it questionable mm-hmm. usually like even if the merit is there i just don't i don't think they're Usually the merit is justified. Like for example, there's this uh, that Artnet article that was out this week about what is it called? Like seven auction surprises or something like that. Oh right, but that was totally paid for. Uh, I don't think it was. I don't think it's like a no, no, no. It's not like a SpawnCon article. It's just like a, I think it's like a covertly so. No, I think it's just like tangibly data related like uh-huh like here are huge artists that blew up here um, I found and it. they're yeah and they're like legitimately makes sense like as per the data the only entry on that i disagree with is the joel messler thing <laughs> oh okay so it's it's uh by nate freeman it's called hot lots these seven artists emerged as market sensations during this year's star making auction day sales. Um, so yeah, so it says that Joel Messler started out as an artist in LA and then opened a gallery in Chinatown. Like everything was, I don't know if it was intentionally half-assed, but it was like, you know, not serious enough as to like not take responsibility for it but like whoopsie took uh um like it blew up and became uh got some traction and then after a while i guess uh he decided he had had it and started making his own work again and by that point he like had known enough people to like get further traction um in the field and i remember him at he had like a traveling shtick at some art fairs a couple of years ago where he would like paint portraits on demand on oh, site yeah. for like 500 dollars something like that and they would be like uh, intentionally sloppy yeah um like faux naive you may call them yeah well so i guess my whole skepticism is that none of these things are 
like objective fact. So for example, like I don't think anyone our age or younger, for example, Salman Tour should have a work that's $822,000 at auction. Um, like why I like, I want to agree with it, but I also at the same time still am unable to understand the significance or the value of your work value shooting up at an auction house. Like I just don't see how it translates into any form of cachet significance or value. Well, it just sounds like, it just sounds like, like a, like a fun, like trivia bit to me that has like no real effect, neither on your work nor on your long-term standing or anything. If anything, it just messes things up long-term or well, even short, the thing short-term. Is, it, like it shouldn't have a effect on your actual work or the work you make, but it probably does because then people feel like, oh, I need to keep this machine going. So I have to make work that's within this vein. I can't deviate from it, which is yeah, why yeah. you have like, artists making the same work for the last 50 years yeah, uh, exactly. because they're just printing money essentially. And then with their market, if everything goes according to plan and <laughs> the machine keeps worrying, you know, like if Salman Tour has this almost million dollar painting at auction, if everyone around him plays their cards right and everything kind of works out, those prices will incrementally just keep going up. Uh, maybe at some point it'll stagnate at a certain point, but it, the market will keep going. There'll be a demand for it. And so when that auction price is almost a million, then maybe the galleries that are selling his work on the primary market can sell for like a hundred thousand or $200,000 or whatever. I'm just making up a price. I don't know how much they cost, but it's uh, like to, it's all about like scarcity and demand. But I, I don't know what to tell you. Like to me, any any structure like that that assigns value to works of art that at the same time is able to create such a such an ugly posthumous exploitation of like Matthew Wong's uh, work. I don't see how it could also at the same time be a benevolent actor in raising another artist's work value. Like to me, it's just the, it's the same like shitty cesspool that's able of two different things, but at the, at the root of it, it's all dirty. I don't know. Yeah. No, I I think Um, it is dirty. And like I said, like I understand if, okay, this artist has had a long prolific career at old age, they passed away. There's no more works. People want work. So they're at auctions. The price goes up because there isn't more, much like buying a house or something. Um, but not when someone's like 30 years old and you're like, why is this work so expensive? It's because yeah. it's just like a financial mechanism for ultra wealthy people. Right. So, so then, but then that gets equated as quality. And then that's like, oh, well, now this person has like, uh, you know, a show at a top museum because that's getting construed as quality. But again, quality is so subjective. So, you know, everyone has their hands in each other's pockets. And also, does does anyone in the right mind think that any artist at the age of like between 20 to 30 
is legitimately capable of, you know, creating the, the, you know, the best thing, the new best thing since sliced bread. Like, can you not give that artist some time for uh, maturation? Yeah. Okay. Um, I, there's this meme I didn't send you, but I will send it to you later. It's uh, actually I'll send it to you now. Um, you have your iMessage open, right? Yeah. And I'll just say to contrast it. So I was uh, speaking with my friend Geyer, friend of the pod, who's a curator in Norway. Uh, and I was just like grilling him about how the system works over there with the uh, heavily f- state-funded. Uh, stipends and all that stuff uh, and the art unions and um, so the question I asked him was asked him so in a nutshell how would you explain Norway's relatively scant commercial art sector uh, is it simply because of the widespread union presence and government funding or is there more to it and he wrote back Sorry, Geyer, I didn't get uh, your approval to uh, <laughs> to quote you on the pod um, so he wrote back saying that he suspects that the state being heavily involved, um, the artists and the market are not very attractive partners to the pri- to private money. Uh, the few collectors that might collect international art um, are actually not that much bothered by the national art scene, uh, and they also have this like built-in suspicion to towards commercial art uh, commercial art market in Norway within the unions, which heavily fund the sector in the country. Um, so like, for example, if, if they deem you or suspect you're a sellout in Norway, you're really out. You're like, they cancel you, which is so funny because it's just the, the complete other side of the spectrum from how it works here. Yeah. So I just, I just wanted to mention that. Yeah. You were saying, sorry. Oh no. So I sent you that meme. Do you see it? Uh, I will post it. It's from at male fragility and it's that like Viking daddy meme guy. Can can you explain the meme? So the Viking daddy says, thank you for changing my life. And then on the other side, it's Guggenheim, Whitney, MoMA, and New Museum. We literally duped you into believing that worshiping fame and prestige was subversive, all while facilitating an unregulated commodities market for some of the richest and most reprehensible robber barons of our time. I mean, spot the lie. I mean, it's totally true. Obviously, obviously, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, it's not that extreme. There's so many, you know, like the vast majority of people working in those museums are, uh, they work in good faith and are, uh, like incredible professionals devoted and dedicated to research and elevation of, uh, lesser heard voices, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But between the current moment that we're living in that sort of views things a little more suspiciously and cynically, to like you reading the news and seeing that like young underrepresented artists are all of a sudden blowing up in auction houses you just like like you start asking some questions yeah no exactly i think there are you know a lot of people in these institutions working in good faith like you said uh but when you look at the basis of why these museums exist or how they started like a museum like the whitney for example I mean, it's kind of built on shaky ground to begin with, you know, like there I mean, are people, first of all, Eli, Eli Whitney was a slaveholder and a, uh, you know, the person behind the, uh, the cotton gin industry, yeah. but that's besides the point. That's yeah. like, so there's that aspect of it. And then the other aspect is 
well, these people are, you know, ridiculously wealthy for shady reasons often. And, you know, it's like amassing riches and putting them on display. And yes, in 2020, there's an educational component to it and what have you. But I don't know, it's also just kind of another facet of the entertainment industry, if you will. Yeah. You know, I think the, the biggest the biggest silver lining here and just for a second to remove any responsibility from the artists themselves to be, you know, the propellers of their own um, potentially dirty rise to fame. I will just say that none of these artists who are like big in the auction houses now, it wasn't of their own making. Somebody else essentially deemed them like the new emperor. Yeah, exactly. And I think, uh, you know, something that almost all working artists want is stability and a future in what they do. Like, that's the hope of every artist, to be able to make work and exhibit it, hopefully live off of it so they can focus on, you know, this field that they maybe studied or maybe not studied. But, you know, if you're like, I want to be an artist, it's something you hope to pursue full-time and yeah but let let me ask you an answer candidly it's a yes or no question (laughs) um between norway's heavily state-funded arts sector to germany where it's sort of the the middle ground kind of because there's a there is a commercial a thriving commercial arts sector but also heavy funding from the state to the U.S., where it's uh, you know hyper capitalist, and in a sense, a lot of artists not just invest a lot of money into their education in hopes of you know getting a return on that, but also just are hoping to be the next big thing and just make a you know the big blowout sort of uh, income out of it. Where would you? What is the ideal sort of place for you? Wait, that's not a yes or no. <laughs> no, I was just kidding. <laughs> Have you also been watching How to Get Away with Murder? Um, <laughs> No, just the West Wing. I'm, I'm learning from CJ how to speak and how to ask questions. So please rate me okay. after this episode. Tell me if my English has improved and my capacity to uh, drive arguments. Yeah, Amir sorry. and I might go to Toastmasters, by the way. Uh, uh, okay, the Norwegian model. Do you have to go to art school? Uh, is that clear? I'm not sure, but it's so accessible that I don't see a reason for you not to want to go to high to art school. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's just so much room within the system in Norway, and they could correct me if I'm wrong for essentially like outsiderness, outsider okay. art within the system. Okay. So there's no need to like revolt or go against that or be a rebel because like you know in 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 north america for example and even in europe like art brute um and those movements were the result of like being essentially shunned out of those structures and systems it's not that you like you were just not allowed to participate because of your you know social standing or the color of your skin or your gender yeah yeah um I don't so, know. Norwegian model, German model, or the US model? What's your pick? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, I think if the Norwegian model, like the text you'd sent me earlier, you know, where it's kind of a more stable funding model, I'm definitely into that. I'm not into a model that's like project-based funding and you're constantly just applying for things and not getting them and praying that like, oh, maybe finally I'll get this project grant so I can like make this series of paintings. Is that what it's like in Germany? That is like, that's what I'm familiar with, with like the Canadian model. Okay. Um, later on, as you go ahead in your career, there, there are different things that are like a major arts grant, for example, in Manitoba, where you get an amount of money to work for a year. Mm-hmm. But I mean, most people aren't getting those. There aren't many of these grants. So, so it has to do with prestige. You have to have like amassed an X amount of, uh, you know, experience. Yeah. Uh, like it's more like you're, you're getting to kind of like mid career artist. You have a thorough CV of projects that you've done. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to submit images and the jury has to see value in it. And obviously there's going to be a lot I of, you said, I thought you said the Jerry. <laughs> I'm like, did he made it onto a jury panel in Canada? Oh, I will get to him again shortly and I'll tell you how mm-hmm. he judged me. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. Again, personally as an artist, my hope is always to just have stability and like, yeah, I would love to do these big things every artist dreams of because I'm not like, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It'd be amazing to have a MoMA solo show because mm-hmm. you feel like the center of attention. Right. It's not because it's like, Oh, now my work is smarter and better than everyone's because like we've said, it's uh, all relative and there's no tangible barometer of it, but I think once you pass a certain a certain level or threshold, uh, sort of the creative stagnation is kind of the, um, like the income that you bring in from your work at those high levels are like diametrically opposed to you know the mental creative stagnation. I mean, I was saying it on previous episodes. I feel like once you've hit those like upper echelons like your 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 creativity is essentially embalmed and you're you're expected to as yeah. you said to just like keep producing the very same thing over and over again yeah i don't know yeah like i think just a healthy middle ground would be good mm-hmm. you know you can make the work you want to make experiment try new things hopefully there are people that see value in it because something sparks joy in them and they want it in their home. (laughs) Um, But then there is maybe a broader just social safety net. Mm -hmm. You know, I think. Yeah. I mean, one aspect I think that doesn't really exist in Germany with its model and Norway and its model that I do enjoy here. And is that kind of maybe one of the reasons why I was so happy to move to New York from Germany is this like just battlefield mentality where it's in a sense a survival of the fittest and for me personally it kind of it keeps my juices flowing and it invigorates me knowing that you like constantly just have to work harder uh and that extends to broadening your intellectual horizons and going further into your 
you know, aesthetic explorations and stuff like that. I don't know for a fact that it couldn't exist in Germany had I stayed there if I like moved to Norway, but I'm personally benefiting from f- feeling constantly like at the edge of my seat here. Like I mm-hmm. can't fully relax. Maybe it has to do with, you know, the way I'm I'm wired, but I, I kind of enjoy this like constant sense that I'm not doing enough. I know that it's <laughs> it sounds terrible, <laughs> but it just... Uh. I, I kind of like the challenge. Yeah. Uh, not not to say that the other models are bad. Um, I like I like the way it's structured here. I know that it's 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 a complete clusterfuck of uh, not providing anyone with security. Uh, but like I like the way it's done here, and I do enjoy my like occasional, at least like pre-COVID travels to like experiencing different models in other countries. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. in the end, we all just want to feel appreciated. <laughs> it's totally, uh, totally. My thought on that is though, how does you know a dollar value, an increasing dollar value, sort of attached to your work, impacts or gives you sort of a false impression of your significance, your personal sense of meaning. Like, I just know in the back of my head that those two shouldn't sort of, uh, shouldn't go hand in hand. Sort yeah, of, uh, no, definitely. Price your work equals you're a better person or you're a yeah. better artist. Yeah. <sighs> Alrighty. Do we want to maybe, uh, tackle one less, uh, advice from the Jer? Yeah, you pick the last one. Okay, sorry, I'm scrolling through a lot of paintings of naked women women, uh, in the article, unsurprisingly so. Um, Okay, to the most annoying advice, lesson 18, all art is identity art. This is because it is made by somebody. Bravo, Foucault. Um, And don't worry about being... Political enough. Kazimir Malevich painted squares during World War One. Mark Rothko made fuzzy squares during World War Two. Agnes Martin drew grids on canvas during the Vietnam War. All art is confession. Sorry, all art is a confession, more or less oblique. Artists who claim that art is supposed to be good for us need also to see that there are as many ways of art being good for us as there are works of art. Actually, I thought I was going to hate this uh, this advice, but I don't hate it all that much. Yeah. Um, there is something to be said for the examples that he named here, Malevich painting squares during a war, and Rothko too. I feel like if anything, we should learn in this very moment, uh, in this like heightened political awareness of a moment, that you don't necessarily have to depict things as you see them. And there is a lot of room vacant currently for uh, an expression in form of abstraction of whatever it is we're going through right now. I don't think that, you know, portraiture has to be at the top of the list to sort of give like an apparent sense of representation to, uh, you know, your identity. There's other ways to express that. Or connecting with the world or society. It, yeah. it, it feels like the most basic, you know, high school understanding of art to say that the only way you can 
have some social connection is by depicting humans. Yeah, exactly. In, in like posed portraits. Yeah. Um, well, I just want to point out that there was some Polish erasure going on in that statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kazimir Malevich. Uh, Kazimierz Malevich. <laughs> was he Polish? Really? Yes. <laughs> huh. Did so. I ever tell you the story about Marth- Mark Rothko and the, the lady I used to work with, the volunteer at the Jewish Museum? Am I having Maybe a told memory? A senior moment. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm asking if I, if I said it on the pod or if I just told it to you. Oh, Anyways, so when I worked at the Jewish Museum, uh, one of the volunteers sitting at the member's desk was this uh, older lady. Um, and she, I guess she's in her 90s now. And back in the late 40s after the war, she, uh, um, she enrolled at uh, Brooklyn College and started studying under Mark Rothko. And one, she was one of the first women in the program. Oh wow! And one of her, one of the first advices he had to give her, much like uh, as a, sage advice is Jerry's, <laughs> is that being the woman that she is, she should quit school, go home, find a husband, and focus on house chores. Rude. Fucking Mark Rothko. She ended up doing that. Um, she quit the program, but ended up becoming like a uh, famous art historian. Oh wow! And is giving tours at the Whitney now. She actually worked, I think, on the. Oh God, of course, having a brain fart now. She helped worked on one of the shows like five years ago. I'm forgetting his name. Famous like jazz era. And what year was that? That she was. 1949, if I'm not mistaken. Oh wow. Um, I used to have just the most fascinating conversations with her. Uh, so fuck you, Mark Rothko, extremely overrated. Oh, I agree. You know what? He is, he is overrated. I think, yeah. I mean, it's, I, I think it's stating the obvious that he's overrated, but I guess there's some stands out there. Let's still think he's, you know, I mean, there are Damien Hurst stands out there. So true. Can I just uh, read one last one, actually? Because this is the cringiest one. Yeah. Which one is it? Lesson 24. Artists must be vampires. (laughs) And he doesn't mean emotional vampires, which most are. Uh, Stay up late every night with artists around your age. (laughs) Show up. Go to openings, events, parties, wherever there are more than two of your kind. He's projecting. Oh. He just wants to <laughs> hang out with artists our age. Yeah, exactly. Our, our age and younger. <laughs> <laughs> or artists his age are like, yeah, he's already besties with them. And uh, mm-hmm. and they drive. What, what car does he drive again? It's a Benz. He has a Mercedes Benz, yeah. Yeah, to his uh, country home. So, oh, God. Artists must commune with their own kind all the time. There are no exceptions to this rule, even if you live out in the woods. Uh, I feel personally targeted by that. Also, again, he's projecting. (laughs) Exactly. Preferably commune in person, but online is more than fine. (laughs) It doesn't matter where you live. Big city, small town, little town. You will fight and love together. You will develop new languages together and give each other comfort conversation and the strength to carry on this is how you will change the world and your art to protect yourselves form small gangs 
<laughs> protect one another no matter what okay he's been watching how to get away with murder um <laughs> this gang will allow all of you to go out into and take over parts of the world argue sleep with love hate get sick of your fellow gang members whatever happens you need one another for now protect the weakest artist in your gang because there are people in the gang who think you're the weak one okay (laughs) paranoid thanks for this (laughs) thanks for this like projection memoir that you just published um i i actually just through the merits of his advice i i personally disagree if anything i find refuge like intellectual and mental refuge in my non-artist's friends because I don't want to talk about art or think about art 24-7. Like I need to get away from it and hear some like sober voices outside of that scope. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, like I... Let's see. What what percentage of my close friends are artists? Maybe half? But we like never talk about art. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, we we talk about art with each other, but it's mostly on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, or it's um our logo Moonface sent to yeah, each exactly. other. Yeah, <laughs> Which is the uh, eye roll emoji uh as opposed to what you think is the eye roll emoji. Yeah. So we just did a admin reveal. Uh spoiler. Um like I okay, just quickly lesson number 25 i'm not going to read the whole thing but just the the header learn to deal with rejection hands down jerry i agree with you (laughs) like i know that you are unable to deal with rejection and again this is this is like an advice you're giving to yourself based on the projection which is this book but like yes everyone's career should be riddled with you know an endless barrage of rejections uh I don't know if it's going to make you a better artist or a person, but that's just the breaks in any business in this world, which like throws me back for a second to the hot lots list on <laughs> Artnet news. Like again, I will say, I don't think that any artists upward of 20 under 30 should have experienced like smooth sailing to such degree because it just neuters any sense of like potential struggle that could sort of inform or improve your work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, deal with reduc- uh, <laughs> reduction. <laughs> Learn to deal with rejection, even in your personal life. Um, like me, eternally yeah, single. Like me. <laughs> and also just, sorry, one last thing. Lesson number 26, make an enemy of, en- of envy. Please don't. Envy is healthy. Um, envy, I think, helps you sort of position yourself with sort of more a sober viewing of your standing, it helps you understand or it sort of uh, kind of makes you ask, why am I envious? And makes it, makes it so that you look at your own work and sort of makes it look, uh, makes you look at your own standing in the, uh, in the profession, et cetera, et cetera. I think if anything, it's envy that kind of like keeps you, uh, keeps you alert constantly. Yeah. As uh, everyone's grandmother says uh there's always someone richer than you poorer than you prettier than you and uglier than you so exactly and i just came back from north carolina this weekend and i was staying at my cousin's house and their grass is completely dead dormant for the winter and the neighbor's grass they picked the like 
the fancy kind that stays awake all winter long. <laughs> and so the neighbor's grass was literally greener. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that was my lesson. <laughs> <laughs> which is... Um, uh, which is actually... Yeah, no, that is a very good analogy because if you have the money to do that, then the grass is always greener. Yeah, at least if only in a, in appearance. Exactly. Um god, I fucking hate that he like has evoked all this like sentiment and emotions in us. He's such an idiot. And also, let me just say Jerry Saltz, you're a squeaky wheel, your wife's the actual talent in the household. And she should have a Pulitzer Prize, not you. Yeah, exactly. And well, if, if he got one, we could surely get one too. Oh, totally. We're gunning for it. So mm-hmm. it's going to happen. Yeah. Once we get those Zoom recorders, oh, yeah. we traipse through MoMA. <laughs> <laughs> get, get kicked out of uh, Lucian's <laughs> for taking off our masks <laughs> indoors. I wonder if their fries are being served again or if there's a continuing scarcity in the kitchen. God. (laughs) Well, let's check wet paint next week and we'll find out more. Yeah. Maybe we can ask friend of the pod, Max, to give us uh, the most up-to-date info on that. Yeah. Are they double fried in duck fat? We'll find (laughs) out next week. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. Now, Amir, do you have any... Any small recommendations or anything fun happening this week? Uh, I'm just praying that we're not entering a second lockdown because I'm supposed to participate in a group show at the end of January. Oh, amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Which I will disclose more information on once uh, once it's made official. So I'm just hoping it doesn't the city doesn't lock down again. But um, until then, I... That, that that's just sort of my tentative cultural recommendation for the week i've just sorry i've been doing the exact same thing for like weeks now <laughs> i've been slugging through uh gore vidal's burr it's such an amazing book that i'm just taking my time reading it slowly and we've just been watching the west wing because jordan's been forcing me to like watch multiple episodes every night before netflix <laughs> takes it off their their offering <laughs> Um, and I also just got my food allergy testing <laughs> results back and have been forced to completely revolutionize much to my chagrin, my diet. So I can't have any more dairy, uh, no mozzarella cheese, no almond, no eggs, no nothing. So I'm f- a fucking like food hermit now. So, um, uh, dear listeners, that was the conclusion of the five episode story arc of <laughs> Amir's upper uh what do you my call GI it? sojourn <laughs> yeah exactly people have been asking what happened with that so I am Jewish what can I say <laughs> we're just born with those GI issues it's part and parcel and yeah I'm what really about sorry you? what's your you? what, what's your cultural recommendations for the week okay I've mentioned this three times already on the podcast today um how to get away with murder <laughs> it's on netflix i'm assuming internationally since shonda, shonda rhymes shonda rhymes yeah. yes it's a shondaland production 
Um, Jordan said it's like his number three Shonda show. I haven't watched Grey's and I've watched Scandal only a bit. But I am loving How to Get Away with Murder. I am a Viola Davis stan. Yeah, uh, I like her. Yeah, she's amazing. She's on that top 25 actors so far this century on the New York Times list, rightfully so. Was she on uh, Waiting to Exhale? I don't think she was. Okay. Um, but she was in... I saw her in Doubt, that movie with Meryl Streep. That's mm-hmm. the first thing I saw her in. She was amazing in that. She was amazing in Fences, uh, the film with Denzel Washington. Um, and I'm really happy that this show is on Netflix because it's a very addictive uh, murder mystery thriller. <laughs> and she is so good. Like, it's unbelievable. You watch her on late night shows on YouTube and she is a completely different persona than this character. The mark of a true actor. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, please watch it. It's really good. And uh, which, which reminds me, we just, North, in North Carolina we were watching uh, uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire with Jimmy Kimmel, and it was like the celebrity edition with uh, Tiffany Haddish. <laughs> Let's just say it she's was funny. outrageous. She's, she like she took up, she took off her wig at some point. Oh, I saw that. She's amazing. <laughs> Um, did you see the David Member Chang of episode? The tribe. Oh yes, Member she of the is. Tribe. She had yeah. her uh, bat mitzvah, her black mitzvah. She's uh she's part Ethiopian, I guess. Yeah. Uh Love I her. think her dad came uh before she was born or something to the US. Uh, you, you wanna hear some something fucked up? When they uh when they helped bring uh the lost tribes uh Jews from Ethiopia to Israel in the mm-hmm. late eighties and nineties, they they called the operation Magic Carpet. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Hot off the heels of Disney's Aladdin is Operation Magic Carpet. Um, yeah. <laughs> controversial. Um, remember when Whitney Houston went to Israel? And oh, I do. I sure <laughs> She's like, do. my people. <laughs> uh, but I think that was... Uh, that group she was a part of was like... Uh, possibly a Southern Poverty Law Center classified hate group. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. So I'll what check in that, on that. What was that group that like confronted that MAGA kid in Washington last year? Oh, you, in, you remember what I'm I remember? About? Yeah, he's so smug, like he deserved to get punched. But yeah, I don't remember the group. But anyway, so. Yeah, recommend that show. Uh, I'm working on some new paintings. I'm really excited. They're yes. like cute, fun coloring book uh, images. I'm finally that, enjoying making art. <laughs> is that those really complex, like uh, anxiety alleviating coloring books uh, <laughs> drawings? Basically, so I made <laughs> those my ads own drawing that I get on Instagram. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. So I made my own drawing. It's a public service announcement. It's the first of many because I have had it with society, and it was really pleasant just painting and coloring it in. Do you color it in on the floor or is it hanging on a wall? It's hanging on the wall. I Mm -hmm. put it on a table at first, but I was bent over 90 degrees and three minutes into it, I thought it was a really bad idea. Like I just sounds like a hashtag sciatica (laughs) problem. 
So yeah, I stapled it to the wall and it took me two days to color it in. Amazing. And it's been really nice. And it uh, is very lush in person. So I can't wait Mm -hmm. to make more. I bet it looks great. The pictures you sent me. Thanks. Uh, seems like we kind of ran into overtime. Maybe we should like, uh, separate it out and Patreon this shit, the shit out of this. Yes. (laughs) (sighs) The the Magnum edition thoughts on art, the Magnum edition. (laughs) Yeah. If anyone thinks we should do a Patreon, let us know. Uh, Mm -hmm. also please share this with your friends, uh, family members and coworkers. Especially if they live in Indonesia, Argentina, Brazil, the Emirates. Portugal. <laughs> Seychelles. Seychelles, uh, yeah. Uh, and also don't forget don't forget to add us. Subscribe to our feeds on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Stitcher. Um Is that a thing? Yeah, Stitcher's a thing. Signal. <laughs> Signal. Um OnlyFans. Grinder. <laughs> planet romeo uh oh my god is that still a thing (laughs) sadly it is oh my god yeah i'll never i'll never forget those chimes oh god well when we do get on patreon we could do a special episode about the planet romeo berlin cannibal killer oh my god (laughs) and with that we're done we're done nice talking to you premek nice talking to you amir choose see you next week choose bye